All right, before we get started, uh, it's 929, getting close to 930. Before we get started, I want to give you the word of the day, okay? The word of the day is escalation. Somebody was saying that last week when they were trying to help me. My wife wasn't in here, so I had to have other people to help me come up with a word that I was trying to think, think about. And there were a lot of different uh, answers that were coming at me. I think there was somebody who was saying escalation, but <clears throat> there was too much coming at me one time. I couldn't process it all. So whoever that was, I apologize that I didn't uh, give you recognition. I want to give you that recognition now. Escalation. Okay, so that's your word of the day. Okay, it's now 9.30. Let's get started with a word of prayer. John Willicat, would you do that for us this morning? Thank you so much for the opportunity we have to gather together this morning. We need your word, learn from it. I ask that you uh, bless this time. Amen. Okay, so beyond uh, the word of the day uh, from last week, I also want to give just a couple of maybe kind of qualifications, explanations from some, some from some things that I said last week, uh, just uh, to you know make sure that we're not misunderstood or that I'm not misunderstood. Uh, one thing is uh, having certainty on a view of Revelation, uh, not saying that certainty is impossible. However, I would suggest with your certainty, you have humility. Certainty with humility, uh, just simply because, again, some of these things in Revelation are hard to, uh, they're, they're, they're a little difficult. So certainty with humility would be something I would suggest. And, and that we should be striving for, uh, certainly striving for. Uh, the, other, the other thing that I, that I kind of thought about later is sometimes you say things and you know what you mean, but maybe other people don't. And so uh, I talk about these <clears throat> things that occur uh, with the blows of the trumpet uh, that I saw them as being more symbolic over literal and what I, I want to make sure I'm understood there, that I believe that literal things occur, uh, but these pictures that we are given are symbolic of those literal things that occur. Uh, and let, let me just give you an example. We have this, this picture of the fourth, uh, the fourth trumpet where a third of the sun was struck, a third of the moon, a third of the stars so that a third of their light might be darkened and a third of the day might be kept from shining and likewise a third of the night. Do I believe that a third, of the, exactly a third of the sun stops shining? No, I think, it's, I think that's symbolic. But it is symbolic of some literal you know, judgment, some literal something that God is doing. Um, <clears throat> what kind of specific literal events do they mean? That's what I'm not 100% sure about. Uh, I could have some guesses on what uh, those things might mean, uh, but they would be guesses on my part. Um, what, I, what I would stick with uh, personally <clears throat> is that they're all indicating what you might call partial or pre-judgment events um, that probably are occurring throughout history, okay? Um, and let me just give a quick explanation of some different views. I, I think this is important. 
as we come to the book of Revelation and <clears throat> that I'm aware of, I, I don't, I'm not sure this has been covered yet. If it has, then it's, this will just be a review. Um, uh, the, the most, um, kind of the most popular, the most well-known, and the ones that I know about, of how to uh, interpret Revelation uh, is what you would call, <clears throat> there's three specific terms, okay? Preterism, futurism, and historicism. So preterism has the first three letters pre, which we would understand as being before, right? And so how that would, how somebody who holds to a preterist view would interpret Revelation is that the majority of what is described in Revelation has already taken place. And what they would typically point to as the fulfillment of these things would be at the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD. They would say that is when these events occurred. Uh, the, the vast majority of the events described in Revelation occurred was in AD 70. They would point to Matthew 24 as well and say, you know, Jesus is describing here uh, the destruction of <clears throat> Jerusalem and the temple in A.D. Uh, 70. And um, I, I do think some of what Jesus talks about in Matthew 24 is talking about that, but that is not all that he is talking about there. Um, <clears throat> I definitely do not hold to that position. Okay, so that's preterism. Futurism would, uh, as the name implies, uh, interpret the events of Revelation as largely happening at some point in the future. You know, all these events happen at some point in the future. Uh, what many of us are going to be familiar with probably the most is uh, a view of a future great tribulation period, seven-year tribulation period. And so that's at some point in the future. And... <clears throat> The, the vast majority of the events described in the book of Revelation are describing those events during that seven-year tribulation at some point in the future. And so, um, you know, these are all things that are future. They haven't happened yet, okay? So the third is the historicism uh, a way of looking at the book of Revelation and interpreting it. And there's really kind of two different historicism uh, ways of looking at it. One is what you might call literal historicism. And um, what some people try to do and have tried to do is look at these different events described in the book of Revelation and assign them to literal historical events that have occurred throughout history. For instance, <clears throat> something that uh, became initially popular with historicism was uh, to assign like uh, the fall of Rome, you know, the Visigoths attacking as being this in the book of Revelation. And, and uh, the Muslim hordes uh, is this in the book of Revelation and, and so on and so forth. You kind of get the idea, right? So you're, you're assigning all those kinds of events as, as, how, as what is being described here in, in a symbolic fashion, apocalyptic fashion. And of course the problem with that is one of the problems with that is, is what was largely, what's largely used as your interpretive lens is what you know, right? <laughs> the knowledge that I have, uh, mainly uh, from the people who are doing that, of Western uh, history uh, are the ways that I interpret the book of Revelation, okay? So that's one historicism, uh, and again, I, I would kind of describe that as literal historicism, um, 
And then the other one would be more spiritual historicism to where, as kind of I, I referred to a while ago, these are symbolic <clears throat> things that are being described to us uh, that uh, happen in various ways, maybe all throughout history. And so these are describing events that do happen throughout history, but more in a, in a symbolic sense, and they, they can happen in, in different times, in different places, uh, in different ways. Um, so uh, hopefully that makes sense and, and gives you a little bit of, of understanding of kind of some of the different ways, uh, the, the ones that I'm really aware of that are most popular. Not sure. I'm sure there's probably other ways that people uh, interpret the book of Revelation, but uh, those are the ones that are kind of the most uh, uh, popular, the most well-known. So <clears throat> just wanted to give you kind of a quick explanation of some of the ways that the book of Revelation is uh, interpreted. And again, as I said last week, as we come to the book of Revelation, and <clears throat> something else I want to make clear is that I, I'm not saying that we shouldn't try to understand uh, the book of Revelation. It's natural as you go to study it to, to seek to understand the timing of these things. Uh, but it is difficult and humility is important even if you come to a place where you feel like you are certain of your position, certainty with humility. So, all that being said, I've got a question for you. So as we look to the book of Revelation and really whichever one of those um, ways of, of interpreting Revelation you might come to, what is involved in all of them is talk of God bringing judgments. And it's bringing judgments on what we would say is this side of the cross, right? So why would we even be talking about God's judgment this side of the cross? Did not God pour out His judgment for sin upon Jesus? Why then would... Other judgments, why would we be talking about God bringing judgments beyond that? It's an important question to think about. Um, it kind of taps into some other theological perspectives that are important. Uh, um, I think of 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 19, where it says that the Lord knows those who are His. God knows those who are His, and if He knows those who are His, He also knows those who are not His. And I don't think that's just in a specific time. I think you know God knows the end from the beginning. And so um, God did bring, pour out His judgment for sin upon Jesus, but there is a judgment that is still occurring and still awaiting those uh, who reject Jesus so, you know, as we read the book of Revelation, as we have heard and, and as is absolutely true, Revelation is for our encouragement as believers, but I think it's also for our instruction and, ex, you know, explanation, and, and that shouldn't be a surprise either. Um, here's the reason I say that. I think that we could think, like some do actually, um, wrongly, I, I believe, uh, that the gospel is so amazing, and I'm not saying the wrong in thinking that, okay? We all think the gospel is amazing. But in thinking the gospel is amazing, when, when, when we as Christians are overwhelmed by the amazement of the gospel and the power of the gospel in our own lives, 
and then you go and, and you go and you want to tell other people about it, what do you expect them to do? You expect them to say, wow, that's amazing. That is amazing. Whoa, I can't wait to give my life to Jesus. Right? That's kind of what you expect, but that's not what happens, is it? That is just not what happens. We, we, we could easily think because of our love of the gospel, our, our amazement at the grace of God towards us, that, that that is just going to overtake the world. And it's going to bring in this golden age where, where it's almost like a utopia and everybody is sitting around singing Kumbaya and it's just wonderful. But that's not what happens. And that's not what the Bible teaches either. Turn over to 2 Timothy chapter 3 with me real quick. And I'm not going to read this whole passage, but I do want to reference it um, for a moment here. Again, and trying to lay some groundwork for what we're seeing here in the, in the book of Revelation and what we're going to see today. So I love this. 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul says this. He says... And, he, and, he, and, and in the context is he's, he's talking about, he's talking to Timothy about, and, and, and he's talking to Timothy and by extension us as well, okay? Um, I've heard it said and it's true that these letters to Timothy, to Titus, and, and to other personal people weren't just for their sake, they were for the believer's sake around them as well. And by, again, by extension us. Um, so... Anyway, the context here is about the Lord's servant not, not being quarrelsome with those who are, who are following the way of, of, of false teaching and whatnot, but to, to, to be patient with them, hoping that they will repent. Okay? So again, there, it's, it, it's, it's like, yeah, you know, the more you talk to people and you share the truth with them, that they will, they will eventually surely believe, right? And, and all things will be well. Well, no. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, he says, But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power, avoid such people. Do you know what Tim, uh, Paul is really basically saying there? The world's going to be the same as the way as it always been. Right? I mean, that's really what he's saying. He's not saying that it's, you know, it's going to, he's just saying it's, it's going to be the same. You go to Romans chapter 1 and you read the descriptions there of how Paul's describing how, you know, mankind has gone. It's the same. That's what he's saying. It's going to be the same. And if you go on down, I just want to, I want to look at verse 12. He says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Okay, deceiving and being deceived themselves. Um, very, uh, just very, very important. And uh, with that, it's important for us as we see 
These reminders in the book of Revelation is important for us as Christians to have perseverance. Okay? Uh, there's a few different times in the book of Revelation where it references that, the need for perseverance for Christians. And it also explains why there is a coming judgment. There is a, a coming judgment, and again, we still live in a, in a world where, where uh, we're still under the curse of sin and, and a lot of bad things happen, which all, all are a part of God's judgment. So all that being said, <clears throat> then, uh, I want to maybe kind of switch gears a little bit here. And I want to I try to connect this to the application of Old Testament events uh, history of the Old Testament, events of the Old Testament that uh, mainly have to do with the nation of Israel and how those are applied to the church in the New Testament in a, in a, in a grander way, we might say, in a, in a, in a fuller way, okay? And, um, and, and what these things do, what, what we see these uh, do for us as Christians is they provide great and rich illustrations for us to, to be able to grasp better spiritual truths that apply to us and to be encouraged by them. I'll give you some examples of what I mean, okay? And these are not going to be, you know, uh, unusual or, or whatever to you. I'm sure you've probably heard these before. Uh, but <clears throat> one of them would be the, the idea as us as Christians being exiles on the earth. Okay, exiles on the earth, strangers and aliens, exiles on the earth. Well, where does that come from? Well, that largely comes from the nation of Israel. Whenever they were scattered throughout the nations following their judgment, they were exiles. Okay, they were exiles that were scattered around. Okay, that that is what actually occurred. And then in the Old Testament, there's you know God talking about some future day when He's going to bring all the exiles and He's going to gather them all back together. Okay, well, that's a picture for us as Christians. We live as exiles. And in the new covenant, there are no border. There, there is no national border. There is a, a, a people who have spread all throughout the world. Okay, every tribe, tongue, and nation. All right, uh, for us. And we are exiles. We're scattered all throughout the earth as Christians. So that's a picture uh, that's used in the New Testament from the Old Testament. Uh, another one would be like wandering in the wilderness, uh, the, the, the children of Israel wandering in the wilderness, waiting to enter the promised land. Again, we are in this world, okay? It's, uh, we can kind of look at it as a wilderness place to where it's just barren and, and you know, it's spiritually barren. And we are awaiting that day when we enter the promised land, the land of rest, our, our heavenly abode. Okay, so th those are some pictures from the Old Testament that are used. Well, another one of those pictures um, that is used is of the Exodus. The Exodus and the events leading up to the Exodus, the plagues and, and the Exodus. And, and sometimes, by the way, uh, as, as we'll see in the book of Revelation, and I think we kind of see today even, there could be multiple pictures from the Old Testament at the same time being used to help uh, you know, that, that are referenced from the Old Testament um, in, in relating uh, truth in the New Testament. Um, 
So again, one of those is, is, ex, is the exodus. And, and again, we can... And, and, and here's the other thing, okay, about these pictures. Sometimes they can be used in multiple ways at the same time. All right? So for instance, the exodus. The exodus, we can look at the fact that we've already been delivered from slavery to sin, right? God has delivered us from slavery to sin. It's like He has, he has brought us out from, from the slave market of sin. He has led us... Uh, out from that, right? Um, but I think there there is also a sense, and and I think we're going to see this today. There is also still a sense that even as God's people, okay, we are God's people, but we are still in this world, and again, we are waiting for our final deliverance. Okay, we are waiting for our final deliverance. We're waiting the final exodus from this place. Uh, to go into God's presence to be able to worship Him uh, as, as God was telling the nation of Israel to do there in Egypt and was telling Pharaoh to let my people go that they may come and worship me. So, um, so again, I think we can see that as a picture of us even now in this world as Christians uh, in this world system, as we saw last week from 1 John chapter 5, this world system that uh, Satan rules over. He is the ruler of this world. He is the God of this world. We see that multiple times talked about in the New Testament. So, uh, all that being said, let's get to Revelation chapter 9. All right? <clears throat> and we'll read it here. Revelation chapter 9, verses 1 through 12. It says, And the fifth angel blew his trumpet, and I saw a star fallen from heaven to earth, and he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. He opened the shaft of the bottomless pit, and, the sh and from the shaft rose smoke like the smoke of a great furnace, and the sun and the air were darkened with the smoke from the shaft. Then from the smoke came locusts on the earth, and they were given power, uh, given power like the power of scorpions of the earth. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any green plant or any tree, but only those people who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. They were allowed to torment them for five months, but not to kill them, and their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings someone. And in those days, people will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die, but death will flee from them. In appearance, the locusts were like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were what looked like crowns of gold. Their faces were like human faces, their hair like women's hair, and their teeth like lion's teeth. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron, and the noise of their wings was like the noise of many chariots with horses rushing into battle. They have tails and stings like scorpions, and their power to hurt people for five months is in their tails. They have as king over them the angel of the bottomless pit. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek he is called Apollyon, both of which mean destroyer the first woe has passed behold two woes are still to come 
Okay, so let me at first, after reading that, just give maybe a quick rundown of some of the details from the passage, uh, which is obviously focused on these locusts uh, that are described here. So I want you to take notice first, the king of the locusts. We see him in verse 1 and 2. This star fallen from heaven to earth who was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. He opens the shaft and then in verse, uh, <clears throat> verse 11 it talks about uh, he is the king over them and his name is Abaddon Apollyon. Okay, so uh, most likely I would say this is either Satan or some very powerful emissary of Satan. And one of the reasons that I would say that is it describes this, uh, this uh, angel as a star fallen from heaven. And typically, uh, when we hear that language, that is referring to uh, the evil angels, okay, in some sense. And since he is the king over these, these locusts, um, again, probably either Satan or a very high person in Satan's entourage, you might say. So that's the king of the locusts. Uh, the abode of the locusts, we see it described as the bottomless pit. And, uh, you know, there, there is this, uh, you know, kind of a question, is this some literal place? Or is this maybe a graphic, appropriate description of where demons would live, right? They don't live uh, in the heavenly places. They don't live, uh, you know, that is not their abode. Their abode is this, this bottomless pit. They, you know, they, they live in this bottomless pit. Perhaps it is a literal place. Uh, or perhaps, again, it, it's describing, you know, where the abode of, of demons might live. Um, so... Uh, there, there's more questions about that. Some of those uh, can come later. Uh, don't want to try to do everything uh, this morning. Just don't have enough time to do it. Uh, so the identity of the locusts most likely are demons, as I've already said. Most likely uh, these are representing demons. Um, and and, I, and it's, it's one of these things to where... Uh, we, we have, I, think, I think we struggle with that somewhat in our day because as we read the New Testament, we see people being uh, um, tormented by demons. They're, they're, uh, um, you know, they have demons within them that are having to be cast out, uh, possessed by demons. Um, and I, we don't really see that in our day. And I think sometimes that... Um, makes us kind of forget that demons are active, but we see very clearly in the New Testament that that, that is true. I mean, Paul, and, and I'll talk a little more about this here in a few minutes, but Paul talks about doctrines of demons, you know, and, and, and perhaps most notably in Ephesians, uh, he talks about that our, our struggle as Christians is not against flesh and blood, but, but against the rulers, authorities, cosmic powers over this present darkness, the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places, meaning in the spiritual realm, okay, in the spiritual realm. So uh, it shouldn't surprise us that this would be describing demons and their activity. Um, but I think that it sometimes does. And again, as we, and, and, 
you know, and going back to the positions that I was talking about earlier, I can understand why somebody would hold a futurist position. I understand why that is such a popular position to hold, because as you read something like what we just read, you think, well, there's no way that's occurred yet. I mean, that is just this crazy event that is occurring, you know, and it, it would have to be something that, you know, you would, you would not, you know, would be unmistakable that you couldn't miss. And I don't know, maybe they're right. Okay? But demons are active. Okay? Demons are going about spreading false truths and uh, taking people captive. And again, as Paul says in Ephesians, you know, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. I think sometimes we, 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 we struggle with that, don't we? We want to fight what's right in front of us. Okay? This person. Because I can take him down. You know? I don't see the demon. I can't, you know, how do I fight that demon? Kind of a thing is how we think. Right? But demons are, are very active, and, and I think we need to make sure that we don't forget that. So, yeah. A quick thought. When I was reading through this, this, this week, one, one of the things that did me is that the, the first four trumpets were very focused on the heavens. And, and, and right at the end of chapter 8, you, you've got angels saying, whoa, 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 which tells me whatever's coming next. It's an it's escalation. Than what you just saw, which really was a third of the destruction of the earth. Yeah. But, but one of the things that hit me, I was in, I'm in Luke chapter 8. Jesus is just, he's, he's taking a demon out of a person. And he asks this demon, what's your name? It says Legion. And he implores Jesus not to put him in the abyss. Yeah. So these must be the worst of the worst. We've got demons not even wanting to go down there. Yeah. And in First Thessalonians, you just read, it's going to go from bad to worse. Mm -hmm. But when a demon doesn't even want to go to this place that it's now being unlocked, that's, that's, that's yeah. telling us whatever's going to come out of these last trumpets is, is a yeah. It's dealing with God, dealing with Satan, dealing with hell. When demons don't, I mean, we know demons walk around the earth today, but whoever's in this abyss is, is worse. Yeah. It's going to be worse. I mean, why Why the explanation, whoa, whoa, whoa? You, you haven't seen what you're getting ready to see. Yeah. And man, it, it just hit me hard. Yeah. You know, we think we've seen evil. <clears throat> We're not, we're, we've not even seen what's coming here. Well, that's possible. That's a possible explanation. Um, that was Luke 8, 24. Yeah, yeah. Or 31, I'm sorry. Yeah, that is possible. Um, however, there has been a great deal of evil in our world. We have seen it very recently, matter of fact. Uh, very recently, some, some unimaginable evil occur. Um, that has to be demon inspired. Um, has to be demon inspired. So uh, let's look at the target of the locust, verse 4. Uh, I find this to be very interesting. Uh, the target of the locust, it says, they were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any green plant or any tree. Unlike normal locusts, they don't care about vegetation. Okay, that's not their focus. They're not, they're, they're not, care, they're not caring about eating vegetation. Uh, what they're looking to harm, notice, is only those people who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. 
Okay, they do, they do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. And if, and if you need some reminder of, of, of what is being referred to, you can go back to Revelation chapter 7, uh, verse 3. Um, and of course, again, Revelation 7 is right after the sixth seal has been opened, which seems to indicate kind of the end of all things, maybe the final judgment. And so if, if that's the case, then chapter 7 is, is, is kind of this uh, explanation passage um, uh, of, of, of helping us to understand uh, what else is going on, what, what God is doing in relation to all of these things that are occurring towards His people. So verse 3, it says, Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of the sealed, 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. Now, I want to show you something very interesting here. Um, he says, until we uh, do not harm uh, the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And by the way, there's a place back in Ezekiel where God sends these angels into Jerusalem to, to mark uh, everybody on their foreheads before he comes to destroy Jerusalem. Go, go through the, you know, there's this angelic scribe who goes through and marks every person in Jerusalem on their forehead who is, who is a righteous person, okay? And then there's this, this picture of these other angels going behind him who are killing everybody who doesn't have the mark, okay? So here's something I, wanna, I just want to make known real quick. Guess what? That didn't actually happen. Okay? These angels going through killing everybody didn't actually happen. It was, it was symbolic. It was, a, it was a picture of the fact that uh, Nebuchadnezzar and his army of the Babylonians were coming and they were fixing to destroy uh, Jerusalem and they were going to kill a lot of people. Okay? So that, that, was a, that was a picture of what was occurring. But anyway, they're sealed on their foreheads. Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees. Go over to chapter 8 real quick. Back to chapter 8, verse 7. I want you to notice, The first angel blew his trumpet, and there followed hail and fire mixed with blood, and those were thrown upon the earth. And a third of the earth was burned up, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all green grass was burned up. The second angel blew his trumpet, and something like a great mountain was thrown to the sea. And a third of the sea became blood. A third of the living creatures in the sea died and a third of the ships were destroyed. Now go back to chapter 7, verse 3. Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. So this sealing occurs before these trumpets, and then these, these things occur uh, in chapter 8. And then again, over in chapter 9 now, we see these locusts going out. And guess what? These sealed people are still on the earth while these events are occurring. Okay? They're still there. Um, now, I know there's some different interpretations on maybe who the uh, identity of those sealed people are. Uh, but if they are, uh, it, it, if that is describing the church, then the church is still present while these things are occurring. Yes, Sam? If this church says that all of these judgments are not chronological and they just repeat over again, then how is it that the, uh, the seal has any effect at all on the um, trumpet judgment that we're talking about here? If it's all cyclical. 
Well, it's, it's, it's all symbolic. It's all telling us the events that are going to occur. So I, I'm not sure I fully understand your question. Um, so. Okay, but it has to have it that the seventh seal opens up into the trumpet judgments. It doesn't recapitulate by itself. Okay, I'm, I'm still not following you, Sam. I'm sorry. We can talk about it later, okay? All right, so anyway, the, the target of the locusts are the unsealed, not the sealed, okay? Uh, which is very important, and we're going to get to that a little more maybe in a minute. All right, the description of the locusts. We see a description of the locusts, and these are not your run-of-the-mill locusts. Uh, and uh, I'll just say that these description of these locusts um, are given to very fanciful interpretation, Okay, uh, this is where sometimes people will say something along the lines of John was seeing helicopters and doing the best that he could to uh, describe what a helicopter is, you know, about something in the future. Uh, you know, he was seeing events in the future where things were happening and helicopters were involved and they were flying around and he described them as locusts. Okay, uh, I don't think that's what is happening here. Okay. Uh, what we do know about these locusts is that they are ferocious. Uh, again, they are not your run-of-the-mill locusts. They bring torment that makes people wish they could die, it says. Um, but, however, they are limited. Um, they, they are limited in that they are not uh, able to kill. They're not given the ability to kill. And they are governed, as we've already seen. They have a king who's over them. Uh, and, and they're not just governed in that way, but it says that they, uh, verse 3, they were given power. You know, there's this, you know, verse 5, they were allowed to torment them for five months. So they're not just freewheeling on their own. They're, they're being governed. They're under a certain control here um, as they go about doing these different things. And they are, they are on a timetable. It talks about five months. Um, it gives this uh, five-month period. Uh, it's, it's hard to be certain about why exactly five months. What's the, what's the significance of five months? Uh, it's possible, uh, something that I thought about, and then I, I read something that somebody else said who wrote a, a commentary on Revelation who maybe had the same thought, and so it kind of made me feel good that I had that thought is that uh, uh, that you know maybe a five month period is kind of typical of when locusts might go and eat all your vegetation right that's like the 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 period when you would actually have crops that could be uh, taken by uh, by locusts okay so again symbolically in that way okay so, 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 Joe has promised me that if I go over today, I can teach next week. Didn't you, Joe? Uh, yeah, I said something like that. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so that being said, why locusts? So why locusts? Why, 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 if these are demons, okay, 
that are being described here, then why this picture of locusts? Okay, why use locusts? And again, I'm going to come back to what I was saying earlier. Is I think it's because it connects back to some of the judgment themes from the Old Testament. Right? It's connecting back to some of the judgment themes that we see from the Old Testament. And we don't have time to go and read the text that I want to read this morning, okay, and do the other things that I want to do. And so, since Joe has promised that I could teach again next week, we're going to do something very unusual today in Sunday school. We're going to get out a little early, okay? All right? Or, oh, I shouldn't do this, uh, but I'll open it up to some questions. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to open up some questions. I'm going to go step outside here. Uh, go from there. All right. Seriously, though, anybody have any questions? You made a connection to the Old Testament. Yes. We're told in Revelations that the locusts survived for five months. If you go back to Genesis, you'll read that the floodwaters took five months to flood the earth. And there's an interesting connection. Hmm. Well, that is interesting. However, what I would say is that if, if it was, you said it took five months for what now? The waters to rise. It took five months for the waters to rise. Huh. I don't recall that. Where's that at? I want to look at that. I mean, we know that the, the, the rain fell for 40 days and 40 nights. Um, well, that says the waters prevailed on the earth for 150 days. So in my mind, that means that the waters have already risen above everywhere, right? So it didn't take that long for it to, to do it. And we have to remember, too, that the flood wasn't just as a, a result of the rain falling for 40 days and 40 nights, but the waters of the deep were broken up, right? So, I, I don't know, I kind of imagine that the flooding probably occurred on a pretty, pretty quickly. Five months seems a pretty long time for it to, to come up. Yeah. The, the point still stands that the judgment lasted for five months. So the judgment of both the blood as well as the judgment mentioned here in Revelation 
Okay, it's possible. I would say a difference between you know, an obvious difference between that judgment and what we see here is that everybody was killed except for Noah and his family. Whereas here they're just being tormented. Um, nobody's being killed. So I don't know. I believe that's because of the mercy of the cross. <clears throat> People still, despite the terrible things that are going on, have a chance to come to Christ. Yeah. Obviously, in the flood, we didn't have the cross and the mercy of the cross. Yeah. But we still have God and the ability to come to God and believe in God. Like the people of the flood could have repented and they didn't know Christ, but they had opportunity. Yeah. They had 120 years to repent, is what we're told in the New Testament, at the preaching of Noah. Um, so, yeah, um, yeah. Sometimes these uh, these different numbers and these things in the in the in the Book of Revelation can be can be difficult. Sometimes they're obvious. Sometimes there's obvious connections. Sometimes there's there's less obvious connections. And I think we 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 do have to be careful sometimes about how we. The, the relations that we make and even if we see a connection it's all it's it's it can be hard to to really nail down what exactly the meaning of the connection is and so um yeah matt you, Jeremy, in, in light of what you just said because i was thinking that same thing in verse seven where in your chapter seven where they talk about the ceiling and the hundred forty four thousand, and then here we <clears> talk about that these wasps will not or these hornets uh, locusts where will not hurt those who are sealed yeah um how do you read into that? Like, are there only 144,000? Like, where are all the believers, the church, as you said, the church is still around through this? Yeah. Um, but there's only 144,000 identified as sealed. I mean, I don't want to overread into this and read literally into it something that is not there. Yeah. But um, and we also, the Christians, will have to endure suffering and, and struggles during, this, during these times as well. Yeah. Yeah, so <clears throat> I guess you missed Steve's explanation of all that, but um, yeah, I mean, it, uh, this is obviously a symbolic number here again, yeah. and uh, you've got all these tribes who have the same amount of people sealed from each tribe, uh, <clears throat> which uh, later on it's described as just Jewish men. So if the, if, if the locusts are only are hurting everybody except these set number of Jewish men. Yeah. That seems to, to kind of assure us that it is symbolic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so there, there's more that could be said on that, but all right. So I opened myself up to it. I've endured it. The locusts have come. <laughs> I've tormented my soul. No, I, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. You know me, I like to joke around a little bit, maybe too much. All right, let's, uh, let's close with a word of prayer. We'll come back next week, and uh, Steve will be the one tormenting my soul for messing up his, uh, his schedule that he likes to make. So, uh, But I'll deal with that later. He's not here right now, so ha! <laughs> All right. Uh, Eric, would you close us in prayer?
deliver us from sin. And Lord, even though trials may come, those of apocalyptic magnitude or even those that we might find mundane in our current lives, Lord, we know that you have a comfort for us and you have grace for us that is sufficient in our weakness and ultimately designed to bring you the highest glory and praise. And God, I pray that each of us would take comfort in that and rest on your work, on your majesty, and on your, your rule over this earth. Amen.